welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Hello and welcome to episode 274 of the podcast. Today I have a fantastic episode for you and my guest is Nikki Harmon. Nikki is actually a childhood friend of mine and our paths kind of spread apart for many, many years and now I am so glad to be back chatting with her, getting caught up, hearing about her life's journey because she and her family really impacted my life in terms of my love for music and performing and we go into that on the episode. Nikki is incredibly open about sharing her story in hopes that it will empower other people in their own walk. She's a mom of five. She experienced divorce twice before, and with her current husband, she recently adopted her newest son internationally, and we talk all about that. It is an incredible, incredible story. We talk about losing her mom to cancer and how that impacted her. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And so in addition to having her own life experiences to share, she also has that clinical side that really yields some interesting insights that I know you're going to love. So let's get to it with my guest, Nikki Harmon. All right. I'm thrilled to be chatting with Nikki Harmon today. Hey, Nikki. Hello. How are you? How are you? I'm so good. How are you? Me too. Well, I'm like barely holding it together, but you know, what's new, right? What's new? That's, that's all of us, isn't it? And you think like when this ends or once this happens, then things will calm down. Then it will be whatever. Like, does that ever really happen? No. I know. I think about that every day. I'm like, okay, this next thing will happen and then my life will be calm and then I'll have time and then I'll have time. And I'm realizing... I just have to learn to live in the crazy because that is kind of where life is on the constant. Yes. And that's where the learning happens. And that's where I have found the most appreciation I have for my life happens because in those glimpses of calm is when I reflect back like, wow, we did it. Look what we got Mm -hmm. through. And there's so much edification that happens in that process. So really, if things are too calm for too long, I kind of take my life for granted. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. And I think too, when you're, at least for me, when I'm like busy, go, 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 like those are also the times I feel the most fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Right? Like looking back, I can say, oh, I felt so fulfilled during that time when it was so crazy because because there's a lot of growth that happens in those moments too. Mm Yeah, I think it is so great to fill your life with whatever is most meaningful to you. And for some people, it does look like a lot of things on the calendar. And for others, it's prioritizing other things. So it's like, what what are your priorities and what does that look like for you? And it looks different for everybody. But when you're really living out your values and your priorities on your calendar and in real life, that's the magic. Yep. Well, and it could look different for you at different seasons of life, too, you know? Mm. Like, what was important and meaningful to me in my 20s might not be what's important and meaningful to me now that I'm an old woman. (laughs) (laughs) An old, old woman. Well, okay, so Nikki and I met... I mean, I was trying to do the math, but probably 25 years ago. I'm 34, and but no, it had to be more than that because I was probably six when I joined yes, Children's I, Chorus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I, yes, that sounds right. Yeah, so like 
28 years. That's mm-hmm. that's insane. Okay, so we both grew up in San Diego, and I always loved to sing, as your family always was musical. And your mm-hmm. mom, with some of her friends, started a group called Children's Chorus, and they had darling red poofy skirts, little tiered yeah. ruffles that I know you guys still carry on today, and yeah. <laughs> the cute little monogram with the sequin belts, and we put on little like variety shows a couple times a year, and I joined that in first grade. And that's where I met you and your sisters. Um, mm-hmm. Callie's my age. And I just, I thought you were the most beautiful person I'd ever met in real life. Oh, my God. Even at, like, six. I'm just like, oh, I want to be like Nikki. Nikki's the best. <laughs> And then, and here's another creepy thing that you probably don't know. Okay, so then when I was in high school, I go to choir one day, and my friend shows up, this guy, and he shows up with a shirt with a couple pictures of a a BYU cheerleaders on them. (laughs) You were one of the girls on his shirt, and it was one that he, like, homemade. It wasn't, like, a sketchy calendar that he's, like, flaunting. He, like, he, like, had a picture with you or something, and he, like, screen printed it on a shirt. Oh my god, that is so funny. You're right. I never knew that. Yeah. So the things you don't it may as better that you didn't know, maybe. <laughs> oh, but yes, I just I used to be cool back in the day. Look I guess. at you. You're still cool. You're still cool. I just think it is so cool though how you never know the people that you meet early on and the people that you lose touch with, the way that life can come full circle and the way that you can encourage each other and inspire each other in ways yeah. in such different spheres now once we reconnected and I followed along with your family and we've been in touch um and I would I think you win the award for a person that's life has changed the most since I initially contacted you to be on the podcast so you win yes oh thank you yeah yeah exactly more (laughs) caffeine but for people that may not know you Nikki we just give a little elevator pitch on who you are and your family yes I actually was thinking about this like how do I even make this short in my like background so um I have five kids I live in Utah currently Um, my oldest is 13 my youngest just turned three um, we have adopted a little boy from an orphanage in Bulgaria. Um, that's my newest adventure. I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist, so I see clients once a week at a clinic. And I have just had lots of twists and turns in my life from divorce and, you know, different people in my life with addictions and uh, cancer, just like so many, so many things. And so I, I, think that um, I can speak from a lot of experience in just how to deal with life when it really stinks and doesn't go how you planned. And that, I think, in a nutshell, is kind of the best way to describe me and where I'm at in my life. Yeah. And the real purpose of this conversation today is to not just dig into the details of the challenges, but to really communicate and be inspired by the fact that life certainly usually does not turn out the way that we think it's going to. The details do not need to fit into a certain box in order for you to create and cultivate happiness, to help your children through the challenges that you go through, and to find joy in every day even amidst the trials. So, I mean, let's just go back to the beginning in your first marriage when you knew oh shoot, like there's, there's some issues, some real issues that 
this is this is not going to work and you ended up a single mom so what factors kept you in the marriage as long as it did because so many people stay for the kids I hear all all the time and I'm sure you do as a marriage and family therapist Mm -hmm. what kept you in it and what got you out of it yeah that is a really really good question um for sure the fact that I had kids I mean I was pregnant with my second baby when I when I knew explicitly I mean I knew that there were things happening and that things weren't really what I thought they would be but I found out that he was abusing illegal substances and prescriptions and all that kind of stuff when I was pregnant with my second baby and I think the main thing that kept me in it was I just knew I wasn't going to get divorced like he was going to get better (laughs) we were going to work through it you hear all the time marriage is hard marriage is hard and I was like well I guess they're right like marriage is hard and we're gonna get through it and and I think I think it's important to be aware that yes marriage is hard and there's a certain level of normal hardness in marriage and then there's things that fall outside of the normal hard of marriage and I kind of had to go through this process of figuring out what that was for me and where <laughs> where my line was and but I I knew that he was going to get better nobody in my family knew what was going on no one in his family knew the only people that knew were um our therapist because we were going to a therapist and then our bishop our ecclesiastical leader no one else had any idea that this stuff was going on in our marriage and that's because I, I, again, I knew that he was going to get better and we were going to get through it and move on. And I didn't want people in our lives to kind of hold that against him down the road when we were happy and together and healthy. (laughs) And that didn't really work out like that. You know, um, for me, one thing that I was really looking for, I wasn't looking for perfection, especially when it comes to addiction, there are going to be mess ups. There are going to be setbacks and that's just a part of the disease. But I was looking for real behavior to show that he was wanting to make changes you know things like attending therapy or things like not having certain people in his life that were not good influences or honesty and um kind of as time went on it became clear that those things weren't weren't prevalent in our relationship um and so that was kind of the turning point for me in deciding that I needed to leave was that there wasn't, there wasn't behavior showing me that he was working towards change. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because even if he had been trying to work towards change and messed up, that would have been okay. You know, that would have been something I would have stuck with, but it was that there was a total absence of effort to change really yeah and desire and you can't do that for anybody else and I think so many times we put the expectation on our spouse that us wanting them to be different will make the thing better versus working on ourselves and owning what part am I playing in this not that it's your fault by any means but what do I need to do to stand up tall and to be strong and to be cultivate my own happiness and if they're not along you know paralleling that journey with you that's when decisions need to be made right Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and it got to the point that it was dangerous and, you know, yeah. my, yeah, it was just, it was really bad. It was bad. Sure. And so with the loss that I can, can't really identify with at all, but that I can only imagine comes with a divorce and that loss of that identity, 
And then okay. your girls go to daycare. And I mean, that's just like a whole new normal. But at the same time, was there any alleviation of the burden as well once you added more freedom? Yes. So for me, the real hardest part was leading up to the decision. Okay. Um, because I wanted to do everything in my power to make sure that a year, five years, ten years down the road, I didn't have regrets. And so I didn't want to think, what if I had tried a little harder? What if I had done this differently? And so I spent that chunk of time before my decision doing all those things, you know, trying trying to shift how I responded, trying to be really in tune with my spirituality, trying to do all of these things so that once I finally made the decision to end the marriage, yes, it was a huge relief. I felt like... I felt like I had done everything I could do. I felt like, yeah. And there's mm. there's chaos on top and heartbreak and everything that comes along with um, with a with a marriage ending and a family falling apart. And then underneath it was a, a peace. Mm. And that peace was kind of what I, it was my lifeline. And it's what I held on to when things got really, really dark was there's no way I would be feeling this peace underneath all of this if this wasn't where I needed to be moving right now I'm so proud of you (laughs) that's hard that is hard to get to that place of believing that because you can say it and you can tell other people that but to walk that and do that and live that and model that for your kids yeah oh man you're amazing. Yeah. You're amazing. Thank you. You know, and, but at the time, I'm sure it's not like, this isn't what I want to be amazing for. I would rather, no. like, be amazing for other things, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's embarrassing. I mean, there's yeah. so many things that come along with, you know, you're at an event and people are like, oh, hi, where's your husband? Right. And you're like, oh, we're actually getting divorced. And then it's, the, oh, the pity, the awkwardness from everyone. You know, there's so many, like, pieces to it. Yeah. So I guess that leads yeah. me to the next question of what did people do or say that were really helpful during that phase? Yes. Because, yeah, if you're going through it really privately, I don't know. Would you have done it any differently now in hindsight? Um, no. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was really, yeah, it was important to me to be honoring the boundaries in our marriage uh-huh. <laughs> by keeping it private. I mean, I was still seeking help, like I said, by yeah, being a professionals therapist or uh-huh. whatever. Um, and once it kind of came out that we were getting divorced, then I saw a lot of support from friends or family and that kind of thing. But it was really important to me to kind of, boundaries are important to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And we don't go run around and talk about all the hard things in our marriage all the time. Sometimes we complain, like, oh, my husband left the toilet seat up. But, you know, you mm-hmm. don't just raise your hand at church and say, oh, yeah, my husband hasn't been home for three days because he's, like, binging drugs. Like, that's just right. not something we talk about, and that can feel really isolating. But it was important to me to um, to keep that boundary until until the time came that that wasn't a boundary anymore, you know? And you needed people. And so how did people show up for you then? Yes. So one of the main ways, I mean, there are a few ways that people helped, but one of the biggest things is that they just helped. They Mm -hmm. didn't ask. They didn't say, what can I do for you? They said, I'm bringing you dinner tomorrow. It's five or seven, a better time. Or they would call me and say, I'm on my way right now to pick up your kids. We're going to the park. What time do you want them home later? Like, it wasn't like a, what can I do for you? Because 
nothing, I'm fine. That's how we answer that question. <laughs> That's how we all answer that question. But it, there were like angels in my life, it makes me emotional even 10 years later, who just acted. They just saw a need and they just fulfilled the need and they didn't wait for me to say yes or no. They just did it. And those people were lifesavers for me at that time. Yeah. And so how that, did, that was a yeah, big way is yeah. that people just jumped in where, when there was, they left groceries on my porch or they like, they would see me in, at church and struggling with two young kids and they would just come and grab one of my babies and help me. Like, it wasn't like, oh, look at her struggling. It was like, come here, I'll take this baby. And, you know, it was just hands-on help. That mm-hmm. was one of the biggest ways especially because I didn't have family close by. And actually right during that time is when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And so she was going through chemo and radiation treatments um, eight hours away from me. And so they weren't able to be a physical support to me in that time. I was very, very much alone in that time of my life um, physically. You know, they were an emotional support to me, but it's not like I had my mom or my sister to, like, jump in. Um, So... So that was one way is that people just did it. Yeah. And another way was people, you know, one thing that's not helpful is, is when people like I had a random person that I didn't even hardly know. I think I knew her first name and she heard that I was getting divorced and she was like, Oh, did your husband have an affair? And I was like, I don't even know you. I'm not going to talk. You know, it's so like, you don't even know my kids' names. Why am I going to talk to you about these like deeply personal things? Sure. Um, but, but there's like an elephant in the room, right? When it kind of, the word spreads that you're getting divorced and then it's the first time that you're seeing people and they're like, I don't know how to act or what to say, but the people who could just say, who could just give me a hug or could say, hi, how are you? You know, I know things are hard. How are you? Like, that was meaningful to me rather than just ignoring it on one end or being really personal and kind of intrusive with questions. Does that make sense? It was kind of this in between. Like, I can acknowledge that you're in a hard place, so it's not this awkward elephant in the room. And also, I can I can understand personal boundaries, and clearly, boundaries are important to me. We keep, I keep sure. bringing it up. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I heard somebody else comment um, recently that the question, "How are you doing today?" versus just "How are you doing?" Because you might think like six months post divorce or six months yeah. post a loss, they should be kind of getting better, right? Mm-hmm. Or you might assume like, "Oh, you look like you're healed. Like, doing better right. now." Like, how are you doing today? Because there's still flare-ups and there's still triggers, I'm sure. And so if you get that prompting to to check in with Nikki or to check in with that friend down the street or that neighbor at church, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. and texting, how are you today? It might mm-hmm. be the crappiest day or it might be an anniversary or it might be mm-hmm. some milestone that for some reason they need they need the hug today or they need the groceries yeah. on the doorstep. They need you to take their kids. Just mm-hmm. show up. Show up. Right. But it's a weird thing to put on social media and be like, I'm still grieving. Like, that's that feels weird, too, yeah. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. Dang. Or even, like, how are you doing today? And they say, oh, I'm fine. It's okay to pause and be like, really? Right. Like, really, are you? Right. <laughs> you know, I'm open. 
And sometimes I needed that to like open up and cry. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I really, it was exhausting to have to rehash it because I was living it every minute. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of give updates sometimes was exhausting. So sometimes even to my family, I'd say, I just, I just don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about anything else. But like for them to just be, to let me kind of lead that and lead whether I needed to vent and talk and cry or whether I really didn't need that in the moment right absolutely that's that's so wise and I know we can learn so so much from that and that will help me going forward is you know I have a close family member going through a divorce right now and these are just great great tips for me to just show up yeah and so you did end up getting remarried that also ended in divorce but you are remarried again now and have grown your family by leaps and bounds recently but but just to close out the conversation on marriage I want to know, having the comparison of being married three times, how have you shown up differently in your marriage? And what have you learned marriage is all about? And it's not about perfection, as we can all probably attest to. But what are the core things that you show up differently today than maybe did in that first one or the second one? And that would just be a voice of encouragement to people that maybe are struggling in theirs. Yeah, that is a really good question, and it really makes me reflect a lot. Um, You know, my first marriage, I honestly don't know if I would have done anything a lot differently. I mean, I wasn't aware of a lot of the hidden life that was happening, and there wasn't a lot I could have done differently about that. Um, My second marriage, for sure, I had trauma. I had a lot of things going on personally, and I could have done a lot of things differently. But what I have learned now in my third marriage, my last marriage. Final, final answer, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is that it doesn't matter, and I'm going to cry again. It doesn't matter what kind of things are going on or where the bumps are because everyone has those bumps and those places that they clash with their spouse. Um, or where, you know, when you have a crazy day or a sad day or a hard day with your partner, if you can come together after, if even in the hard times and even in the stressful times or the crazy times or the whatever, if you can come together in a kind way, then you can make your marriage work moving forward Mm. because it's, it's interesting. My husband currently, he was married before too, and he has some trauma stuff from that. And together, sometimes we are a hot mess. <laughs> you know, sometimes he'll do or say something that triggers me, or if like if I can't get a hold of him in a certain time frame, I go right back to my first relationship where I would go days without hearing from my husband. And so there's sometimes things that are like, small things but that I have big reactions to because of my trauma and I can see that and I can I almost feel bad that my husband is getting this like beat up crazy version of myself Hmm. because I've been through so much over the last 10 years or however many years but um but I think being able to say who I am so sorry I had a bad day or I had a trigger and again to come together over that in kindness is is it and it doesn't matter if it's if it's about the kids or if it's about money or if it's about even addiction even in my first marriage if if we could have come together in kind ways 
and he could have, and we were working together towards a common goal, then, then I think that would have worked still, Mm. but we weren't able to come together in kind ways. And he wasn't in a place where we had the same goals. Um, And so, yeah. So for me, I think that is a really, really big piece of it. Mm. And that's a piece too, that, that I think points to whether, whether it's the relationship is damaging emotionally because we all again we all have times where we say things or do things that are unkind or where we hurt our partner unintentionally or sometimes intentionally right sometimes Mm -hmm. we do that intentionally um but a big difference is if we can acknowledge that and come together in a way that makes us better moving forward whereas in my previous relationships that that was a piece that was missing Mm. where we either couldn't come together in kind ways or we've come together in kind ways but not move forward mm-hmm. in the health. You know what I mean? Like it kind of continued happening over and over without the movement towards change. That um, I think if you both are willing to see your own peace and make positive changes and see the positive in your partner, then it doesn't matter what topic you insert, you can kind of get through that. Yeah. And I love what you said about seeing the positive in your partner, right? You mm-hmm. you see way more of what you're looking for. And if you're in a tough yep. season, gosh, is it hard <laughs> to see anything right. but red, right? Mm-hmm. But to be able to even start small, 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 gosh, that can be just such a huge catalyst for change and and, and extending more kindness towards them because you feel more kind and generous towards them when you find that love again. Right. Well, and if you can see them as someone who's, who's trying and making an effort, then, then, you know, if your partner snaps at you, you can say, oh, wow, he must be really having a bad day rather than, oh my gosh, he's such a jerk. He always talks to me like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like the, the situation doesn't change, but how you view it and consequently how you feel inside about it and about your partner. Hey everyone, I wanted to thank our show sponsor today and that is Warby Parker. I bet you've heard about Warby Parker and their amazing at-home try-on process. Yeah, it is so, so cool. I just gave it a try and I want to share with you all about it so that you can give it a try as well. Warby Parker believes that glasses should be viewed as a fashion accessory and they make it easy and affordable to accessorize with the glasses that you wear. So how their home try-on program works is you go online and take a short test about your face size and your interests and your style preference and you order five pairs of glasses. Then they send them to you, you try them on for five days, there's no obligation to buy, and they ship free and they have a prepaid return shipping label too. If you happen to like one of the pairs of glasses that you try on, you can order them simple, simple online. You can upload your prescription online and it's as easy as that. And the price point cannot be beat. If you want to do this home try-on program for yourself, head to warbyparker.com slash capital E-M-P to order your free home try-ons today. Glasses start at just $95, including prescription lenses, and they can include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. I found a pair of glasses that I loved. I ordered them, and it says they'll be here in three days, which I'm totally stoked about. Hey, there's another cool thing. After you head to warbyparker.com EMP and place your home try-on order, make sure you download their Warby Parker app from the iTunes app store because they built this awesome home try-on companion feature, which allows you to quickly take pictures wearing all the frames 
and then they string the pictures together into a video for you to share with friends and family and so that you can get their input on which frames that you should buy. I think it's just the most genius idea. The quality of the glasses can't be beat, the convenience, everything that moms love. So make sure to go to warbyparker.com EMP to give Warby Parker's home try-on program a try. Hope you love it. Let's get back to it with Nikki. I really truly believe some of the things that we might carry shame about or that we're embarrassed by or we even put boundaries up around, like healthy boundaries, withholding that aspect of our story, it could have been used as a strong point in in opening a door for somebody else to feel like, I thought it was just me. I didn't know that I could I could come out strong on the other end of a divorce. I didn't know that I could be whole again. I didn't know I could find love again, you know? And so I just really appreciate you sharing sharing it all, sharing all of it, because um, I really view it as Thank a strength you. of yours. Amazing. Thank you. Um, can we talk about your mom a little bit? Yes, Aww. and I'll cry again. I know. And <laughs> gosh, sometimes we think – or at least I think, okay, I've already been through something really tough. And so maybe that's it. I learned my lesson. And now I can kind of go on with that that newfound perspective. But then that's usually not how it works. And we usually get wiped away by something else. And your mom was diagnosed with cancer and did pass away mm-hmm. after a few years. And I want to tell you how much I love, love, love your mom. She changed my life, starting with Children's Chorus. I found a note that she wrote me when she gave me my first solo in first grade. Shortly after she passed, I I don't know how I came across this note, but it was a handwritten note from your mom. And she said, someday you're going to be a star, Jessica. (laughs) And I'm just like, who am I? I'm just this little six-year-old singing my heart out because I like it. But she really believed in me, and she saw things in in all of us. It's not just me. It's, It's in her girls. And it's in the kids that she taught, and it's in all the people that she loved. She saw the best in them. I really believe that. What did you learn from your mom? Oh, man. We don't have enough time I for know, that. I know. <laughs> um, you know, my mom was one of those people that just made everyone feel special. Mm-hmm. And, like, everyone had something positive to offer. And... Um, yeah, as I got older, I mean, there's a time in there that my mom and I fought constantly. I think I was like in sixth grade. We were just, we fought all the time. And she pulled me out of public school because she was like, we are not going to fight all the time. She pulled me out of public school. And I basically had no friends except her my entire <laughs> seventh grade year. All my other siblings would go to school. And it was just me and my mom all day like, okay. Really? Yeah, seriously. And it changed our entire relationship. And she was one of my best friends for the rest of my life after that. And I just, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that question. She, she is my foundation. You know, she is, is, I always tell everyone that I had like this fluffy cloud life growing up because I just, I felt like I could do anything. I felt like. I was smart and talented, and no matter what I wanted to do, I could do it. And it's because my mom sent me those messages all the time, just like she sent you that message and other kids that she taught that message. And um, it absolutely, she became like a positive voice in my head. And it starts with a small word. It was one note to me, one. Mm -hmm. And it's the simple things that you tell your kids. 
I mean, for most parents that are butting heads with their kids, they'd want to send them to boot camp. They, they would want to create more distance, right? You've had those yeah. moments with your kids. I certainly have. I want, okay, go to school. Bye-bye. Right. I'll see you later. Right. But the fact that she drew you in, mm-hmm. she didn't put up a thicker wall. She really drew you in. That was just so intuitive. And I think most mm-hmm. of the time that our kids are acting out, they're seeking our attention and they're going to get it one way or the other. Right. So why not draw them in, in, in love, yeah. not draw them in, in shame or draw them in, right. in nagging and ridicule, but yeah. accept them as they are and love them as they are and draw them close. That's brilliant. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so as you were navigating the waters that you did, and I mean, I just can't even fathom. This all had to just make no sense to you. You're like, I lost in my marriage. I lost my mom. When did you reach a point of learning or understanding or perspective that helped you to believe there has to be something in all of this that, that God is using, right? Yeah. You know, I used to always say, like, I must be a really slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, I just have to keep getting all of these huge, like, huge lessons, and they're very public lessons, you know, mm-hmm. and, like, like, I always I'm a marriage therapist and I just can't stay married and carry on like <laughs> announcing to the world and getting divorced again. Yeah. It's like so humiliating. And there's, I mean, there's just so much of my pride that I've been eating over the last however many years, yeah. which is probably why I'm so kind of like, sure, let me tell my story because there's no pride left in me. I'll just tell you <laughs> how it was. But um, I think I had to come to a place you know, we hear all the time that, like, this happens for a reason, and and I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I believe that. Hmm. I know I, I'm a very spiritual person. I believe in God, I and I believe in a God that loves us, mm-hmm. and I don't know that I believe that God says, you are going to have this trial. Mm-hmm. You are going to have a special needs kid, or you're going to have a husband with addiction, or you're going to struggle with addiction, or you're going to struggle with self-esteem. I don't know that he inflicts that kind of stuff on us. I believe that God is a God of natural law. I believe he values agency above anything else. I believe that's part of the reason we're here is to develop our agency and to learn and grow. And I think he lets us make choices and those choices have consequences. And he lets other people make choices and those choices have consequences for us. Mm And he doesn't always step in and protect protect us from the choices that other people make. He mm-hmm. doesn't protect us from the choices of our kids or our spouse or whatever. And and I don't know that I think he said, you're going to have cancer, Nikki's mom. You know, I think that genetically her parents chose to get married and then her genetic, you know, and that God lets, lets nature kind of take its course. And then he's with us in those moments and he helps us grow and be strong and get through those times. And do we learn things and can we use things? Yes. But do I think he says, this is going to happen to you for a reason? I don't know. I think he kind of sets it up and lets us come to him when natural consequences kind of follow. Mm. So for me, that's how I have kind of made sense of this as kind of a combination of my choices and other people's choices and just life. 
And then I get to choose how I respond and whether I come closer to God or not through that. Hmm. And it's not easy. It's a choice every day, I'm sure. Right. To not blame him. To not be right. mad every day. You would have every right, right to, to, to take whatever path you wanted after these circumstances. Right. There's no easy answer. And, and as you talk to people mm-hmm. that have suffered from you know, a variety of losses or challenges, whatever it may be for you, yeah, it is hard to understand. But realizing the people that were put in your path to help you, the mm-hmm. the sustenance that you had and when you felt depleted, you know, all those things, yeah. God was there, but yeah. it's just, it's earth, it's life, it's humanity. Right. It's just, it right. is what it is. Mm. And it's messy and heavy and ugly sometimes, and that's the reality of it. it yeah. Is. Oh. Well, since we started talking just over a year ago about having you on the show, you've grown your family again. <laughs> holy and not even just in like uh let's just like take the easy road of growing our family away will you tell uh, me about milo uh, yes. so we have adopted a little boy um with special needs from an orphanage in bulgaria mm-hmm. every time i say it i kind of chuckle <laughs> because it does sound so ridiculous like who does that um he's we brought him home in april and um yeah, so obviously we have, I have two kids from my first marriage, one kid from my second marriage, one kid from my third marriage. They all have different last names and different dads, and it's back and forth, and we're crazy. And so we're like, sure, let's adopt an orphan. That makes sense. Let's just, you know. Wait, how many last names do you have in your family? Three. We literally have three. You have three yeah. last names. Yeah. Holy smokes. And now with Milo, we have four different dads because Milo, right. we adopted him. And right. so he we have five kids from four different dudes. Totally normal. Right? Totally normal. Yes. Okay. You should hear us when they, like, introduce us, like, at church or something, and they're like, and this person, and this person, and they all have different names. Everyone, like, looks at us like, who is this Turkish? I'm yeah. like, hey. Yeah. Welcome. We're just, we're the white trash family here, just keeping it real. No. Keep you all in reality. Oh, amazing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. So, what... So, how did this thought even enter your mind? Like, this sounds like we a good idea. We have never talked about adoption. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we have a, kind of just a crazy family anyways with a lot of moving pieces. Um, but we saw, I came across a social media account of a family who had adopted a few different, like, I think two kids with Down syndrome from an orphanage in Eastern Europe. And that led us to an advocacy website, reesesrainbow.org. Go look at it if you're interested. They advocate for orphans with special needs Mm. um, because in other countries, if you're born with a disability or even a physical dislike, even if you're missing an arm or something, um, it is very, very common for the parents to just give up the child. Um, And these these kids are abandoned and neglected and uh, many of them don't live to see their 18th birthday and it's just they have horrific living conditions. And we were looking through different pictures and profiles of kids that are available for adoption and we saw this little guy's picture and we kind of just kept going back to him and we were crying and um my husband said why don't you email and get some information and i was like oh wait i thought we were just having a warm fuzzy moment like you know (laughs) and he said i just i just want to see more about his file because it's only like a couple sentences like here's his medical diagnosis here's you know yeah um but we got his file, and it was kind of a lightning bolt 
kind of moment where I really just felt like that was my that was my baby. I have I cannot even explain it other than God just kind of said, "Go bring this child home." Wow. And so we did. Just like that, no problem. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> Fast a forward. Year, it's a, just a year. I think it took us thirteen months, and it cost about I think we're over thirty thousand dollars now. Wow. Um, which meant much of that was fundraising. We had tons of people donate and yeah. um, support us, and um, yeah, he's been home now for about five months. Oh my gosh! So I have loved loved following this journey, Nikki. And what I've loved the most actually though, is seeing how real you, you paint it. I mean, when you think of bringing home a child, you might think, Oh, we are like saving this child. Right. right? And we're doing the great thing and they're going to love it because they have so much more and all the love and all the things. That's not the way it is. Right. Can you just give us like a little (laughs) snapshot of the things that probably I didn't think about ahead of time and maybe you didn't even. What were you yeah, prepared for? Oh, what was there's it? There's so many. I mean, so he grew up in an orphanage. His mom gave him up as soon as he was born, mm-hmm. um, which that's not always the case. Sometimes the parents raise him for a little bit. But he went straight to the orphanage. So he had never really been outside. Um, they eat mush food all the time. So, like, we gave him a cracker when we very first got him, and he was, like, choking because he didn't know how to chew. He's three uh-huh. years old. Wow. He didn't know how to chew. Um, he, everything was overwhelming because he spent his whole life in the same room, basically. And so we would go anywhere with people. He was really scared we were going to leave him. So we'd be like pushing him in a stroller and every two or three seconds he would turn to make sure we were there. Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? And if he couldn't see one of us, he would, I mean, scream, cry, flail. He would have screaming fits for hours hours and there was nothing like one time he woke up from a nap when we got him in bulgaria we stayed you have to stay in the country for a couple weeks to kind of finalize paperwork and do that so we were in like an airbnb in bulgaria with this child that we don't know who doesn't know us he can't speak english like and he would just scream and cry and we would have no idea he wanted shorts on so i'd put him on and then he'd scream and want him off so i'd take him off and then he'd scream and want him on and put him on and it was just like, it was so, so exhausting emotionally. And, um, you know, everything was Christmas Day to him, right? Mm-hmm. So we'd go to a park and he would have the best time. But guess what? As soon as we pick him up to leave the park, it's right. like taking wow. away the best day of his life, right? And so he would have huge meltdowns. And it's not like I could even explain to him, we'll come back to the park tomorrow. We'll come back after nap. He has no idea what I'm no. saying. <laughs> so he would just think, here we are. They're taking me away from the best thing I've ever had. And um, it was really, and even when we got home, he was, he had huge fits and, cry, and screaming. And I, I just, and he was like, he was like a, a one-year-old. <laughs> you know how your run, one-year-old mm-hmm. tries to run away from you? but they have fat little chubby legs and yeah. so you can like grab them. You're still faster. He's, yeah. <laughs> yes. He's a three-year-old. So he's running away from me laughing, thinking it's funny, but I can't catch him. Or he's like run into the street mm-hmm. and, and I'm telling him stop. And he's laughing <laughs> as he runs in front of a car. Like, or he would, he could reach my counter. So he'd like grab knives off my counter. Cause he just has no, 
concept where he'd get food out of the trash can or he'd be, he literally saw a banana peel on the ground at the park and he tried to eat it because it was food. Like things that mm. like maybe a six month old would do, but in a three year old body, which made it really, really hard. Yeah. Really hard. I kind of had to just be with him constantly. We also couldn't leave him with anyone because he was working on attaching, right? In an orphanage, every time he wakes up, there's a new person taking care of him. And so we had to really teach him that mom and dad take care of you and we're different than other grown-ups. And so we couldn't leave him with babysitters. Even my other kids couldn't give him food. It had to all come from my husband and I. And so we were constantly, constantly on duty for the first few months. And it was incredibly taxing. Incredibly taxing. I, yeah, I can only imagine. And so in the thick of that, how did you remain patient? How did you keep your energy up? What would you tell somebody oh. else that maybe doesn't have this exact circumstance but is struggling with patient? I mean, I'm potty training right now. So we're, yes. we've all, you know, needed to have some patience. But here's an extreme example. What did you learn yes. about that? So one thing that they say in the adoption community that I have kind of adopted myself is to give yourself grace. They say that all the time. Give yourself grace. Let it be okay to not always be okay. It's okay to not always be perfect. It's okay if he's screaming and crying and you need to take a break. Give yourself grace. And I think just as a mom in general, that is, I like want to crochet it on a pillow and like <laughs> or cross stitch it on a pillow. That's what you do. <laughs> and, um, and have that around no matter what because because it's okay. If your kid has poops on the floor, it's frustrating, but it is okay. If you're late to school because something happened, it's okay. Mm-hmm. If you if you have pizza on paper plates for dinner because you just cannot fathom doing one more load of dishes, that is okay. Give yourself grace and let yourself do what you can and then don't spend time feeling guilty for what you can't do because that, for me, was killing me during this first couple months home was I felt so guilty that I was so tired and grumpy and like cry myself to sleep at night because we ruined our lives like that is the Mm. kind of stuff I was feeling yeah and then I felt guilty like here I am I brought this child home because I wanted to help him you know I wanted to give him a life we made sacrifices financially and with time and all of this to get him here And now I'm just so overwhelmed and grumpy and I felt guilty about that. And I didn't feel connected to him right away. Mm -hmm. And I still, that is still something that I'm working on is feeling connected to him. I felt like, I felt a real disconnect, which I did not expect. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I felt guilty about that. And then that like kind of compounded everything, you know? And so being able to let go of that guilt piece and like, breathe in some grace and let myself just be wherever I was at in that day. If I was having a hard day, that was okay. I would try again tomorrow. And if I was having a great day, that was okay. Cause give it time and it'll be a bad day in a minute. You know, yeah. <laughs> just, like, right. just wherever you are in the moment, take a deep breath and let it be okay. And then try again. And, and that for me is like my, goal of motherhood, you know, in general. Right. And like you said, leading up to your divorce, the hardest part was the deciding and and the, in the middle. 
And yeah. then for a lot of times for moms, the worry that we have about the future for our kids or the feelings we're going to feel or the poop we're going to have to clean or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that's way worse. But when you realize it's just poop, it's just yeah. a feeling, what, even if it's yeah. the worst feeling you've ever felt, that's not going to kill you if you don't yeah. let it, right? And so really realizing that's not going to knock you down if you don't let it, you know, and, and standing up to the feeling, the feelings and realizing you can feel another feeling next and you can move past the cleanup incident or the screaming fit. It's not, he's not going to scream for 12 hours. He might scream for five, but he eventually will stop and you'll be there. Yeah. And it's okay. And those times it's like, even if you have to go take a break and scream for five hours, like, okay, let yourself have, let yourself have that space to not be perfect. I think so much of it is that we have really high expectations of ourselves as moms. And if our kids don't kind of live up to that expectation, or if they talk back to us, or if they don't do their chore, if they poop their pants, like, yeah, you know, like, then, then we're somehow not meeting our own expectations. And I think that can really be a joy kill. Yeah, it can. It can. Oh, Nikki, this has been so incredible. So much food for thought. I feel so grateful to you for sharing and so excited for you for what's on the horizon. What are you really excited about for this next year? Is there anything that's really like keeping you going and being like, what are you most excited about or what what are you most hopeful for in the next year? Let me me see. Well... (laughs) I actually just pulled all of my kids out of public school. What? What are you talking about? Seriously, my life, I cannot. I am like, I think maybe I have like an addiction to being like incredibly crazy busy or something. I don't know. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, That's like a whole other podcast episode that we could talk about. That is. So I've actually been really excited about that. Wonderful. We've only been doing it for three weeks, so. And I told my kids, we're only going to try for a year, and then maybe we'll go back to public school. But mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that and about seeing how that goes. Also, like, professionally, I am building and growing. Um, I've got some conferences I want to be doing, working with some colleagues to, like, put together kind of like a day-long conference for women to come and kind of be uplifted. And so we're talking about maybe getting that going. So professionally, I'm kind of excited about that. I also want to write a book. Um I finally sat down and I have my outline and my kind of chapters done that I want to do. And so I'm really, really excited to get started on that and, and feel like I'm making progress in that way. And then also with my family, I, I'm excited about this homeschool piece. And I'm just, I'm really excited for Milo to be adjusted. He's doing so much better, even five months in. He's like mm. a completely different kid. Mm. And so I can't even imagine five months from now what that will look like when he's like fully integrated and and can speak English, you know, and like and we can really just kind of get to know him um, better through without some of that trauma stuff and and all of that. So yeah, so I think that's my my personal and professional. Those are the things that are kind of keeping me waking up in the morning. Mm, some exciting things on the horizon, Nikki. Where can people find you? And people, I know that people have been finding you even to start seeking help from you professionally and everything. So Mm -hmm. tell people where they can find you. You're in the Utah area. I am in Utah. So my Instagram is havejoy underscore therapy. um, And I post uplifting content and quotes and 
stuff like that on there. I'm also on Facebook. Uh, my Facebook is Mickey Harmon, LDS Marriage and Family Therapist. You can find me there. I see clients at a clinic in Sandy. It's called Amber Creek Counseling. So they have a website too, ambercreekcounseling.com, that you can go look at and um, read my bio and figure out schedules and that kind of stuff. But I'm always available if you want to message me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, I really make an effort to get back to the people who message me and Perfect. Come follow along the yeah. crazy the crazy journey. <laughs> oh, you are a worthwhile follow. Never a dull moment. You never know what's around the next corner. That's like, true. That is true. Amazing. Nikki, I always ask my guests just one final question, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Oh, that is such a hard question. I would tell her that it is not going to be what you think, and that's okay. That is okay. Um, I had this idea of what my life would look like and what motherhood would look like, and it did not go anywhere close to that, and that is okay. My kids are great kids, and they're happy, and they are well-adjusted, and, and because it didn't go how it went, that's why I'm the mom I am today. That is why I've learned and grown to get to where I'm at, and so I would tell her to let go of the need to be perfect and let go of the need to have it be always okay because sometimes it's not okay and that's okay that's okay too amazing nikki thank you thank you for taking the time and now knowing that you're homeschooling i don't even know how it's been quiet for an hour for you (laughs) i took him to my dad's house that's how they are playing a grandma so amazing okay i'll be sure to also post a youtube clip of your family singing together because for people that don't know your whole family dynamic you guys are music to the T. And it was always my dream to have, like, a family band because of the Schraders. Yeah. And and my my boys love to sing. I have three boys, so yeah. not quite the distribution of ranges that I was hoping for. But, I mean, Austin sings in church with me, and it's, like, oh, the best. So, so we're, we're doing it. We're doing it our own way. But thank you. And that's good. That's it okay. is. It is. Thanks so much, Nikki. You're amazing. Thank you, Jessica. Okay, after catching up with Nikki, it really got me thinking. There are so many more people in my life from the past and in the not-so-distant past that really has impacted my life, and I want them to know exactly what they have meant to me. And so it's prompted me to write some snail mail to some people that are on my Christmas card list that you know maybe I've kept up with over the years or were Facebook friends, but I really want them to know how they changed my life. Nikki and her family, and especially her mom, changed my whole life because as a six-year-old budding performer, (laughs) I joined this children's chorus that her mom had started, and she gave me my first solo. I'll never forget it. I miss my teddy, my teddy bear, and we all brought teddies and we donated them, and it was this, you know, cute little fun. It's just a fun performing group. But the confidence that that instilled in me at the age of six put me on this path of performing and self-confidence and love of music. And oh, it just, you cannot underestimate the power of helping your children to find what they're good at and what they're passionate about and fostering that. And I'm so thankful for my parents for supporting me in the arts all of these years, but really for her her sweet mom, Rita, who wrote me that note saying, Jessica, someday you're going to be a star. And 
something that I didn't share with Nikki on the call, but about eight years ago, my nieces were in that same performing group that Rita and her girls still ran after all those years. I mean, this this group lasted 25 years, you guys, 25 years in the San Diego area. And um, after the show was over, we knew that Rita was quite sick at that time and I found Callie, Nikki's sister, after the show was over and hugged her and she remembered me, but I mean, it had been years, years since we'd seen each other. And she took me backstage and I walked in the room and at that time Rita was, you know, struggling with pain and, you know, being completely clear-headed and whatnot, but she turned around and I said, Rita, do you remember me? And she said, Jessica Lieber. <laughs> and she knew exactly who I was all those years later. And it just really, and we had the most precious conversation. And she passed away maybe five or six months after that. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity I had to say, you changed my life. You mattered. And so I challenge you to reach out to the people that have changed your life, that have spoken a word of confidence in you, that have inspired you to pursue things or that have believed in you or that just simply loved you. Thank them for that impact they had on your life because I think everyone should know what a difference they're making in this world. After her mom died, the children's chorus lasted about one more year and then her co-directors were ready to move on. And rightfully so, it had been a long time and their kids were grown and gone. And it was about that time that I moved back to the San Diego area after we had been living in different states and things like that. And I moved back to San Diego and there was nothing like Children's Chorus in the area. And so I called Rita's co-director, Jennifer White, and we met at the park. I'll never forget this. And I met her with my sister-in-law and we said, we want to do a Children's Chorus do we have your permission to continue on the legacy that you and Rita have built in this area and start something new? And she gave us her blessing and I emailed Nikki and Callie and the sisters and said, do we have your blessing? Because we definitely didn't want to step on any toes. And they said, by all means, share the love of music. My mom would have loved that. And so we did. We started Kids Sing and that lasted a few years while I was in San Diego and it's not around anymore because I'm not around anymore. But that was a sweet, sweet time to instill those same types of values in kids through music. And so I'm just grateful to Nikki. I'm grateful for her family. And I'm grateful for her willingness to share her motherhood journey today. Coming up this Friday, we have a fabulous episode. Well, I mean, I guess that's a little bit braggy. I'm reading an essay I wrote. <laughs> about a moment in my motherhood journey that really changed the way I saw myself and I saw my role as a mom. It's a time where I caught a glimpse in the mirror of myself and I had a moment of reckoning. And I'm going to read you that essay on Friday and I hope you will tune in for that. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at Jessica Dahlquist 3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Everything about Nikki, pictures of her beautiful, beautiful family, links on how to connect with her is over at extraordinarymomspodcast.com. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. So very grateful for you listening and for sharing the show. If you think someone needs to hear this message today, will you tag them on Instagram? Will you share the show? You can actually click on the three dots in the podcast app 
And you can share the episode and you can text it to a friend or share it on social, whatever you want to do. But let's get this word out about these extraordinary women, shall we? Thanks for tuning in the podcast today. And we'll see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.